Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. I'm not wearing a t-shirt today of a school or a place or a business around the country. I'm actually just wearing the lanyard with the name tag that I had on the weekend uh, given me at the Partners Retreat for the Institute for Justice. And I mentioned before that I spent the weekend uh, in California at Dana Point at the Institute for Justice's Partners Retreat, which was attended by uh, attorneys and, and people from the staff of the Institute for Justice, along with their supporters uh, who were invited to come on out and uh, see a little bit more about what they do. And then also a bunch of the actual clients they represent who are at the centers of their cases. And interestingly, a lot of them I've done videos about. <laughs> so I got to meet people who'd come up and say, oh, you're Steve Leitzer, you're the guy with the YouTube channel. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Thank you for doing the video about me. And some of their cases I've not done videos about yet because I was waiting for some more resolution or something. But I thought I'd talk a little bit about what they were doing at this retreat and why it was so important. Because the Institute for Justice is a lot larger uh, than, I, than I even knew they were. Uh, of course, they're based uh, in Virginia, but they've got offices in Seattle and Texas and all over. And they handle cases nationwide. And they've got a, a pretty large staff, pretty large organization. And I met not only attorneys who work there, but people who support them, and then also people who simply work for the Institute, helping get the word out about what they do. Uh, and so that's pretty cool. And by the way, they also let me give the keynote address at lunch on Saturday, <laughs> which was a lot of fun. When someone says, hey, Steve, you want to come up here and, and speak about you know, what you do? And I'm like, I get to talk about myself? That's kind of cool. <laughs> so, but I don't, want to, I don't want to gloss over the real important thing and that is this. The Institute for Justice, as I've mentioned before, does a lot of work where they represent people who need help, who often can't afford the help they need, and often have cases that aren't going to be easy. So, you know, if you've been hurt in a slip and fall, I can, I can open the window up and say that and get 12 attorneys to appear down below the window in like 20 seconds, okay? However, if you've got a constitutional law issue where you need to sue the government and you may need to go to the Supreme Court on it, knock yourself out finding an attorney because uh, they're going to say, well, yeah, it's going to cost a lot of money. Hundreds of thousands of dollars to take your case to the Supreme Court, and many of their cases are the ones that are likely to end up there. So that's important, but I got to tell you, I'm going to show you some photographs along the way, people I met. I met the president, Scott Bullock, who is in charge of the Institute for Justice. He joined them in 1991. He joined them the same year I became an attorney. So while I've been an attorney, he's been an attorney, but for the Institute for Justice. And he's the one who oversaw a lot of their growth. They were a smaller organization back then. They're a much larger organization now. But they've done all kinds of cool stuff. And so, for instance, when I met him, I thought, well, this is cool. I've, I've, I've talked to him on the phone a few times, and we've corresponded a little bit. But uh, I found out more about him as the weekend went on. There were a bunch of presentations about the work they've done. And for instance... He was counsel on Kelo, K-E-L-O, Kelo, which is the case involving the pink house, the little pink house. They made a movie out of it. And that's the one where the government said, we want to take your house from you and a bunch of your neighbors so we can basically give it to a company that wants to build a plant here. So it's a taking, but not for a, a cause that will help the public, but a cause that will help a private organization, i.e. a corporation, uh, make some money. Uh, and it's like, what? What? <laughs> and so they, they litigated that case. Sadly, they lost the case. 
And so many people have forgotten, though, that the backlash against that Supreme Court ruling, which is 5-4, so it's, it's, it's tough to lose a case by one vote, but 5-4, the backlash against that outcome was so severe that a lot of states passed laws saying, well, it might be legal according to the Supreme Court, but it won't be legal here. And now a majority of states in America, a vast majority, have said that that could not happen within their boundaries. So they actually continued agitating after the case came down. So that's the kind of thing that the Institute for Justice does. They litigated that case up to the Supreme Court, and despite the fact that they came out of the wrong end of the vote, they continued agitating for the cause and got some good from it. So that was pretty cool, but I got to meet Scott, great guy, great attorney, met a bunch of attorneys uh, who've worked on many of these cases, and was blown away by, by how, how intelligent they are and how well-spoken they are and how they believe in what they're doing. But the really cool part about the weekend was meeting the clients. And again, like I said, I've done stories on a few of them. A few of them I've not done stories on yet because some of them still have cases that are winding their way through the legal system. And one guy whose story I'd heard about but I hadn't quite gotten into it enough to do a video about it it's a guy named Robert Jones out of, out of Florida. And I sat down at lunch or one of the meetings we were having, and I, and I saw his name tag, and the name tag would identify whether you were a client of IJ or just somebody like me who was tagging along. And it said, client. And I realized, I'm like, oh, you're the guy from Florida. And he goes, yes. I go, tell me your story. And so I've read his story. I've read the press releases. I've, I've seen all kinds of stuff about this. But this is a guy with a couple kids living in Florida. And it turns out in Pasco County, Florida, they have this predictive policing thing where they try to figure out who might commit crimes in the future, (laughs) which sounds like space-age science fiction, Tom Cruise kind of stuff. But it actually was something that the sheriff was doing and and misguided as it was, would have said, well, you know, we're just trying to make it to where we we can keep the crime down. And so for whatever reason, this guy wound up on their radar to where they were constantly harassing him and arresting his kids and arresting him. And it it just it got out of control. And so when the Institute for Justice got involved, they did a bunch of research on it and they actually got officials with law enforcement to admit that their goal was to get people to leave that they didn't like. Well, it's not that they didn't like them. It's that they thought they might commit crimes in the future which is bizarre. It's bizarre. Also, I met, and here's the thing, this guy's story was perhaps the most disturbing story I've ever featured on a video. I talked about him a couple times. Stephen Lara was the Marine, the ex-Marine, spent 16 years in the Marines, was driving cross-country to bring some money to his daughters, or a daughter, and he got stopped in Nevada by highway patrol And the entire transaction was recorded on body cameras. And they asked him a bunch of questions, and they said, well, you know, you've been driving really well, and and frankly, right now, we've got a a PR campaign where we're trying to communicate with drivers about the need to drive safely. And so there was a while back where we think you may have been following too closely behind another truck. So that's why we pulled you over, even though they admitted he was driving well. And then they started asking about stuff, you know, what do you got here? What do you got? Do you got do you have anything in your truck that you know we need to be aware of? Do you have any weapons, drugs? And finally they go, Do you have any cash? Do you have any cash? And he 
foolishly said, yes, I do, because he did. But watch the video. The entire video, he's respectful, he's polite, he's saying yes, sir, and no, sir, in response to their questions. And I told him that because while I was talking to him, he was saying yes, sir, and no, sir, to me. And I'm like, sir, I got I to gotta point one thing out here. I said to him, I watched the video of you at this roadside, and you kept responding to the police officers, yes, sir, no, sir, and talking to you right now, yes, sir, no, sir. I understand that you're being polite, and I know it's a lot of your military background. I said, but <laughs> if that had been me at the roadside, I would have had such a hard time re- retaining my composure. And he said, well, that's part of it, though. He goes, he goes you know, I spent 16 years in the Marines, and uh, you learn under pressure to remain cool. And, and professionalism is something that we're you know, ingrained with. And he said, so I, I, in the back of my mind, was thinking, okay, this isn't right, and it doesn't end here, and I'm going to do what I need to do to get this straightened out, but now is not the time to lose your cool. He goes, so that was it. But I have to tell you that I'm sitting there talking to this guy, and he was telling me the story so calmly and, and, and I, I hate to use this word, but mellow. He was, he was, he was so mellow about it. He's describing it to me and telling me the story. And I was asking him all kinds of questions. Well, what about this? What about that? We actually went out for a couple of tangents. We're talking about you know, different equipment that the military uses. But also just about the event, the incident. And I'm like, I, I have to salute you for how you, re, you know, maintained your composure. I, 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 I would have I I exploded. And he said, well, I realized that, that it wasn't going to get solved at the roadside. So don't worry. He's telling himself, I'm going to take care of this. But now is not the time. So the story is crazy. But, of course, the Institute for Justice found out about it, got involved, and almost immediately got him his money back. And that's the scary part, is that without the Institute for Justice, he would have had to hire an attorney and file a lawsuit. And, and I've mentioned before, a lot of the stories that I cover in my videos, it turns out that when attention gets focused on them, suddenly people do the right thing. And so the Institute for Justice, as well as being great litigators and filing good lawsuits and chasing these things through to the Supreme Court, they also are very, very good at getting the story out. So there, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to make sure that word gets out about these cases so people know that, hey, there's somebody working on this stuff. And so he was at the event over the weekend at the retreat talking about his case. He actually went up on stage for a while and told his story and answered questions. But because he was around all weekend, I got the chance to talk to him for a few minutes uh, and ask him questions and find out all about it. And he was just a great representative of what type of people the Institute represents. I also met a guy, and I've not done a video about this guy, but his story is just like never ending legally. And this is scary also. But James King, a very, very nice guy. And again, I'm talking to this guy, and he was so mellow explaining his story. In fact, uh, we rode back together to the airport, and I talked to him a second time. (laughs) He's from Grand Rapids, Michigan. But in 2014, nine years ago, he was 21 years old, going to college. He's walking through Grand Rapids, and he encounters some plainclothes cops. So it's a couple cops and I guess an off-duty FBI agent who's working like undercover, but none of them are wearing uniforms. And they were looking for somebody, and they had photographs of somebody that didn't look like him. And the crime 
that the person they were looking for committed was something petty. For whatever reason, they saw him and just thought, oh, let's, let's, let's talk to this guy. And so they kind of cornered him. I believe it was three law enforcement agents who were not identified in any way, shape, or form. I'm sorry, I misspoke. It was actually two plainclothes cops, an undercover local cop and an undercover FBI agent uh, that he encountered. And they started questioning him about where he was, what is he doing, who is he. And at one point, they took his wallet, and he believed he was being robbed. And so he put up a struggle, at which point they beat him unconscious. And so when the dust settled and he came to, he found out that, oh, no, those were cops who were beating him. And because they're cops, they get qualified immunity. And they weren't in uniform and weren't wearing badges. But technically, they were on the clock, you know, technically, they were on the clock, according to the supervisors. So they are police officers. And so that case has gone back and forth now so many times between different courts. It's been to the Supreme Court once already. It was sent back down. And believe it or not, we're going to find out very, very soon. But the Supreme Court is now considering taking it for a second time to address some of these issues. And this is some of that nightmare litigation that I can't imagine anybody would sign up for. He signed up for it because he thinks that, you know, he has rights that need to be vindicated. And the Institute for Justice signed up for it because that's what they do. So, again, I sat and talked to this guy for an hour one night and on the ride back to the airport uh, the next day. And, again, soft-spoken intelligent guy, uh, went and got his degree in engineering. Uh, now he does computer work. Uh, and if you saw him someplace and you were asked, why do you think he was in the news? You'd never guess, never in a million years. James King, great guy. So I will do an update on his story as soon as the Supreme Court rules on whether or not they're going to take his case or not. <laughs> and then I have to tell you that along with all the other people I met, oh, I, I met the woman who was the center of the case I did about a week ago, where that private vaults, the safe deposit box case out of Beverly Hills, uh, when they raided all those boxes and they inventoried the stuff that was inside them, they lost some of the stuff. And so this woman filed a lawsuit to get her stuff back. I did not know that she was actually an attorney. I met her and she's like, oh, by the way, I'm an attorney. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> mind blown. And she turned to the Institute for Justice because she wanted to have somebody get involved on this because you never want to litigate your own case. It's hard to be, you know, unemotional about it. And, and so they got involved and helped her get her stuff back, except for the stuff that was lost or they couldn't find. But interestingly, they first told her we lost all these gold coins. Uh, oh, we found some of them after you filed your lawsuit. We didn't find all of them, but we found some of them. So I met her also and the attorney handling her case. So some of the pictures I put up on the screen while talking, I hope you realize correlate with what I'm talking about, who I'm talking about. But I have to tell you at the very end uh, of, of, of what I'm going to talk about right now is I was asked to do the keynote uh, over lunch on Saturday. And what's weird is Saturday it actually rained in California, which I hear it never rains in Southern California. But um, <laughs> it rained on Saturday after I talked. While I was talking, it was a bright, sunny sky, so there's a sign from above. 
And they asked me to talk about my channel and what I do here and, and, and how it is that I talk about their cases and how my channel and what they're doing aligns so well because they do. They, 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 whenever I see an Institute for Justice case in the news, I'm like, oh, there's some more material for me. I think I'll take a look at that. So I, uh, I, I, I was thinking about what I was going to talk about because I can tell the story about how I started a channel and what I talk about. But I, I, I actually made as my theme the fact that the reason they invited me to talk was not because of my channel, per se. They wanted me to speak because of my viewers, my audience. And every time I come on here and talk about the Institute for Justice and say, hey, by the way, here's another case. They've handled this case. They do great work. Please support them. And when I tell people that you, know, you should consider supporting the Institute for Justice, it turns out that a lot of you do. And by that, I mean that I get notes from them from time to time saying, Steve, uh, just to let you know, we've gotten a lot more uh, donations based on people watching your videos. We want to thank you and please thank your audience for us. And so I, I mentioned that from time to time. And I said, however, I said, you know something, I, I, <laughs> I, I do understand. I do understand that I'm not here because of my channel. I'm here because of my audience. And I, and I put it this way and I said, I'm here because of my audience, without them, I'd just be an attorney sitting in an empty room talking to himself, <laughs> which, is, which is truer than you might think. <laughs> but also because that audience is so generous and understands what the Institute for Justice is doing and trying to do. So they've done a lot of great work, but they got a lot more great work ahead of them. And so I would encourage you I would encourage you, if you find it in your heart, I always say, I put the link to their site in the description below my video. I'm not saying you have to donate. I'm saying you should check them out, though. And go there and read some of these stories. Read the story of James King or Robert Jones or Stephen Lara and see what kind of work they do. And ask yourself the question, if that was me, who could I turn to and... If nobody else but the Institute would step up and, and help me, then, of course, they need the wherewithal to do that. And unfortunately, none of this stuff is cheap. And I've mentioned before, to take a case to the Supreme Court, if you paid for it out of your own pocket, would literally be six figures, possibly over half a million dollars. And the sad part is that many of the cases that they litigate, most people look at and go, well, that, that's not right. That they, they, someone needs to do something about that. So they're the ones who are taking cases on civil asset forfeiture, qualified immunity, uh, uh, governmental takings. I just did the video recently about the guy in Texas where the Texas department has gone ahead and done the thing with the highway that's caused them to, you know, uh, flood out the guy's ranch and say, well, we don't have to compensate you for that because the law doesn't say you can, despite the fact that the Constitution does say you can. And I, I want to point out one other thing. I had somebody send me a note, and, and they were – being honest, but they just said, Steve, I have a hard time supporting the Institute for Justice. I like what they do, because, but they're anti-government. And I said, no, they're not anti-government, because they support the Constitution. The Constitution describes the government. It says, here is how the government of the United States is going to look and operate. It's going to look like this, you know, with, with, with a Congress and, and with a president and with a Supreme Court, and then a bunch of rules about what they're going to follow. They simply want the government to follow the Constitution. They're not anti-government. They're pro-Constitution. 
And there's a huge difference, huge difference. And when I said that to the guy who emailed me, he goes, oh, it's actually an interesting distinction. And it absolutely is. So I talked to a couple of the guys involved with the messaging. That is how IG gets the word out. Not so much advertising, but simply what impression they want to give people about what they do. And I said, I bought this discussion. I said I had with somebody. And he said, well, that's interesting because a lot of people automatically assume that we're a nonprofit organization you know, working on certain kinds of cases that we have like some kind of ideological bent that's beyond our simple core, which is here's the Constitution. Did they follow it or not? That's the underlying, motivating, driving inspiration behind what they do. So like I said, the Institute for Justice, I love them. Uh, I'd urge you to simply look at their website and look at what they do. I was just at the Partners Retreat uh, out in Dana Point, California. Had a great time. And, of course, they've also got a great newsletter. I've got one laying on my desk right here uh, that they send out from time to time. Uh, I will not continue wearing the name badge on camera every single day, but I figured I'd wear it one more time before I put it with all my other name badges and media badges and so on. But, again, ij.org, description below the video. Check out their website, and if you find it in your heart, donate because they're great people doing great work. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Education is the most powerful weapon which you can use to change the world.